Hey, it's Adam. Welcome to our weekly teaching podcast here at South Hills Church in Corona, California. Our hope is that as you listen in, you'll find yourself laughing and learning and being challenged and encouraged to grab hold of who God has made you to be. Enjoy the message. And the title of my message is I Can't. I Can't. Uh, the new year, and this is not a surprise to you, it, it's typically a time for us to take inventory of our lives and set some new goals. And some of us, we find this incredibly exhilarating, right? Dreaming about the future, dreaming about like all the potential that exists, about who we could be and how we could develop and how we can accomplish things and where we would go. How many of you are this sort of person where you have already purchased a brand new planner and you have written out all of your dreams and goals and you've made a vision board which you cut pictures out of a magazine and it is on your fridge and you are ready to tackle this year? How many of you, that is you? A handful of people and a bunch of people are too ashamed to raise their hand. But the people around you are like, <laughs> they know you did it. And my wife is a little bit of this person. She's just like so optimistic going into the new year. You know, every single year she's like, it's going to be great. It's going to be the best year yet. It's going to be all sunshine and butter bread and high fives and pony rides. This is going to be the greatest year. And I love that about her. That's part of the reason why I married her. Um, she is an optimist. I am what I would consider to be a realist. She calls it a pessimist. But I feel like I'm just being real. How many of you would consider yourself a realist, okay? How many of you same people have been blamed for being a pessimist? And you're like, I'm not a pessimist. I'm just trying to, like, be real. They're like, why are you so negative? And you're like, negative? You mean realistic about our doomed economy and our flawed political process and the, the genuine, like, worthlessness of all my best efforts. It's called realism. I'm not crying. You're crying. You know what I mean? And it starts to get maybe a little bit dark. Um, you were definitely a realist if the people in your life who are already convinced they're going to have the best year yet have accused you of being discouraging, depressing, or just a dream crusher, okay? That's how it works. But here's the thing. Re regardless of which sort of side you fall on, thinking our dreams um, aren't achievable doesn't stop us from having them. So even if you are a pessimist or a realist, and you think like, I'm not sure I can get any of this stuff done. I'm not sure I can be better. I'm not sure I can be different. You still have this sense that you want to. And I wonder if you've ever come across someone who made some significant change in their life. Maybe they accomplished something incredible or they took control of their story in a way that you admire, maybe even envy, and you're like, man, that's amazing. How did you do it? I kind of want to do it. So how did you do it? And they launch into this explanation about this epiphany they had and this decision to rearrange their life around this, you know, specific focus, this singular priority. And as they're telling you exactly what they did, you're just thinking like, that sounds like a lot. Okay. I am probably not going to do all that. And the more they talk, the more you go from excited to discourage, the more you go from like, I want to do that to like, I can't, I can't do all that. That's too much because you're already doing a lot. And so you think like, how in the world am I going to fit that in? And I think we often start this a new year thinking about everything we want to add to our lives to be better, healthier, 
smarter, skinnier. Don't pretend like you didn't brainstorm this. Everything we want to do to be more accomplished and more fulfilled in our lives. But where's all that stuff going to go? Because a lot of us, we reach the end of a year and we have this feeling of being overloaded and overwhelmed and overbooked already. How many of you would just be honest this morning and say like, those are some of my three key words. I mean, like, uh, I I, I hate to admit it, but like, I, I feel a lot of those things a lot of the time. And I think a lot of people do. And I wonder if you've ever found yourself in a moment of reflection, just feeling like, man, I feel like I am just so busy doing everything that I have to do that I don't have any time to do anything I wanna do. And I think some of us arrive at the end of a year and realize that we have completely lost control of our own story. And I wonder if you are at a place where you feel a little spread thin. Like you, you, you somehow feel simultaneously exhausted and unproductive. It's confusing, but you've been there. Like you're accomplishing things, but they don't feel like maybe they're the right things. Like you're always on the go, but you're not really even getting anywhere. I wonder if you've ever felt like your, your time is constantly being hijacked by everybody else's needs and wants and taking care of yourself has sort of fallen by the wayside. Like you, you, you feel like you only have energy to do five things well, but you are currently trying to tackle 20 at once and they, none of them are awesome. You know, it's all just kind of survival mode. I think a lot of us find ourselves here. And why do so many of us feel this way? I think partially because our culture attempts to convince us that we can be, do, and have it all, all at once. But the truth of the matter is, for a lot of us, the more we do, the less fulfilled we are. So I wonder if adding a bunch more stuff this year is really the solution, because it's not working. And Even if you get to a place where you realize what you're doing isn't working, that doesn't mean you know how to change it. Sometimes you just feel like, I don't know what else to do. Like, I don't know how to do anything other than I'm already doing. And that's discouraging. Especially since we we don't have forever to figure it out. Uh, One Old Testament poet says it this way. This is in Psalm chapter 90. He says, we can expect 70 years or maybe 80 if we're healthy. But even our best years bring trouble and sorrow. This guy's a realist, just letting you guys know, in case you're wondering who you're reading. Suddenly our time is up and we disappear. And this is the prayer. Teach us to use wisely all the time we have. This Australian nurse, uh, Bronnie Ware, is famous for having cared for people in the last 12 months of their lives and recorded um, their most often discussed regrets. Uh, As you do, you know, for fun, you know, just uh, spending that time with people dying. And this is what she found top the list. The number one regret people had when they knew their life was coming to an end and they were facing their last few days. The number one regret they possessed was I wish I had the courage to live a life true to myself, not the life others expected of me. And there's something just gut-wrenching about that. 
Because the reality is, you are going to live life. The question is, whose life are you going to live? Because everybody's got opinions. Have you noticed this? Everybody has opinions about your life, even people that don't know you. They have opinions about what you should do and where you should work and what you should be focused on and how you should spend your money and, and what you should and shouldn't put in your body and definitely where you should spend your time and energy. Which means this, and I want you to grab hold of this this morning. If you don't prioritize your life, someone else will. And some of us are beginning to realize in this new year that we have been living this last season of our lives according to someone else's priorities. And when you have that realization, it is incredibly unfulfilling. And the question is, when you have this epiphany, what are you gonna do about it? And I think this, this Old Testament story in the book of Nehemiah shines a light on that. And uh, we're gonna sort of read through this over the course of the next month together and make some observations. Uh, we're not gonna read it all today. So some of you just got real stressed. Uh, we're just gonna read a few verses. But I do wanna give you just a synopsis of, of the information you need to know before we jump in today. Nehemiah was written in first person, right? So this is where like almost like a journal entry where someone's talking about their own life by the cupbearer of the king of Babylon. Uh, he was a Jewish captive who had been brought from another country into Babylon, and he sort of ended up in this high-end uh, position in government. A cupbearer's job is kind of what it sounds like. Um, essentially, they were, they were in charge of, of taste-testing all of the king's food and wine and making sure it wasn't poison, right? And if it was, you would die instead of him. That's how you found out, okay? Hashtag science, that's how it works. <laughs> it was very progressive, these people. But you know that sounds like maybe just somebody who just sits in the corner and runs up when food is delivered, but in reality, there was a huge amount of trust that was placed on this person, and oftentimes, uh, the, the cupbearer became one of the top advisors to the king. They became close friends, and they became a trusted person where they processed through everything from their personal life and from their public and political life as well. And that's the position that Nehemiah holds in Babylon. And this brings us to the start. It says this in Nehemiah chapter one, verse two. One of my brothers came to visit and I asked how things were going in Jerusalem. And he said, things are not going well. They are in great trouble and disgrace. The wall of Jerusalem has been torn down and the gates have been destroyed by fire. And when I heard this, I sat down and wept. In fact, for days I mourned and fasted and prayed. And maybe you're wondering like, what am I missing? Okay, what, <laughs> I get it. Uh, it's like, hey, you know, things aren't going good in the city as the walls came down and you don't live there. So it's like, why is this news such a big deal to this guy? Like, why is it such a big deal that he breaks down and just starts crying about it? And what you need to know to understand the reaction that Nehemiah is having to this news is that ancient Jewish life pretty much all revolved around the temple that was in Jerusalem. Without it, these ancient people believed that you, there was no way to really commune with God or conduct rituals or receive forgiveness of sins. 
And the problem was years earlier, the temple had been ransacked and destroyed and the Jews captured and exiled to Babylon. That's actually how Nehemiah got there. When the temple fell, he and his family were whisked away to Babylon where he became a slave. But after decades of captivity, the king allows a handful of Jewish people to actually return to their sacred city and begin to rebuild the city and most importantly, the temple. And several years later, one of Nehemiah's brothers who was a part of the first wave who went back returns and tells him that the temple, the thing that these people most care about, the thing that they believe is the most important thing to them is not being properly prioritized or protected, that its walls have been torn down and its gates burned out. And that's why he's so upset. And some of you are like, I get that, but what does that have to do with me? And that's a valid question. And as it turns out, it has a lot to do with us. Um, The Apostle Paul writes this in the New Testament that I think is interesting. 1 Corinthians chapter 6, verse 19. Don't you realize that your body is the temple of the Holy Spirit who lives in you and was given to you by God? And some of you are like, I did not realize that, okay? Uh, Thank you for sharing this verse with me. That was very eye-opening. And maybe you didn't really know this or you hadn't been familiar with this verse, but I would wager that you probably have had a moment where you looked up from your life and you realized that your boundaries had crumbled and you're feeling burnt out, that that you hadn't been properly prioritizing and protecting the thing that you wanted to believe was the most important to you. And that sudden realization, when you pause long enough to reflect on your own life and realize the prognosis is not what you wished it were, it is incredibly devastating. And oftentimes we feel the need to do something, but we feel worried that maybe it's a little bit too late. And this is what's going on with Nehemiah. He's just sort of going about his life, doing the best he can. And then he has this conversation with his brother and he gets this sudden clarity about his life. That like, I gotta change some things. I need to put my focus somewhere else for another short season because things are not the way they should be. And these moments happen in our lives as well and they can be triggered by all sorts of things, right? They can be triggered by a conversation with someone or a book you read or a sermon that you hear or just the reality of like another year gone by. Whatever it is, it, it, it sort of wakes you up to this need you have for change. But the trouble is, just because you know you need to change doesn't mean you believe you can. And Nehemiah knows that feeling too. In fact, in Nehemiah 1, Verse 11, it says, in those days, I was the king's cupbearer. And in other words, what he's saying when his brother comes to him and he realizes, like, I need to make a change, he's sort of saying here, I can't do something else because I'm already busy doing what I'm doing. And a lot of us find ourselves in this place. We all have stuff like this in our lives. There's a word for it, obligations, Right? They're the things that make us think like, I don't have time for that because I'm committed to this. Certain people expect things of me. I'm sorry, I'm stuck. I gotta just keep doing this. Do you like it? No, I hate it. Do you feel good about it? No, I don't. 
Are you feel like you're growing and making progress? Nope. But I'm just going to stay on the same path and uh, keep hating my life. That feels like the wise decision. A lot of us find ourselves here again and again and again. And I think the reason that we live this way uh, is that we bought into a handful of faulty assumptions that we base our lives on. And the first one is this. I have to. Why am I doing this, what I'm doing? I have to. I don't have a choice. The next assumption we make is like, it's all important. Like, well, is there something unimportant that you could cut? No, everything in my life is important. Every single thing I have to do is the number one thing. All 87 things is my top priority, and I have to do them. And the third faulty assumption we believe is that I can get it all done. There's some magic way that if I just get the right mix of vitamins and protein powder, if I can just dial in my schedule somehow, I can get everything done and make everyone happy. And it's a lie. And some of you are annoyed that I'm referring to these assumptions as faulty because you're like, that is kind of how I think. And that is offensive to me. But that's the point. I think often what is holding us back is in reality our assumptions about what's holding us back. Because we think we can't change our life and the reasons we give are not real reasons at all. They're faulty assumptions that are in the way. And Nehemiah in his story feels way more stuck than us. And the reason he feels that way is because he is more stuck than us. He's subject to a foreign king who kidnapped him and enslaved his people. And so pushing back and shifting priorities or saying no or walking away could really likely make this person angry and result in Nehemiah's death. And some of us, we're so consumed with other people's opinions about our lives and how we arrange them that we have the same sort of fear. If I change anything, if I say no, if I push back, if I rearrange my life, if I set boundaries or priorities, it's gonna make them mad and it will result in my death. You ever have that extreme thought? Well, I could never not do that or rearrange this because everyone would hate me and I would die of a heart attack. Uh, I just, I couldn't do it. We feel like any change is gonna make our world fall apart and yet often this isn't true. But Nehemiah in his story, he decides that he's gonna speak up anyway. And when he speaks up, the king does something that he, because he is a realist who sometimes built as a pessimist, um, he's not expecting. Nehemiah chapter two, verse four, he pitches to the king and the king asks him this, well, how can I help you? Not like, uh, okay, well, um, so you're dead. Um, <laughs> never say no to me. He says, well, how can I help you? By the way, this is the mark of a great mentor. Like when you go to them with what you want to do and it's not exactly what they want you to do, they still ask how they can help you. That's a great mentor. They're interested in helping you even if that means you may no longer be able to help them. And I would tell you, it would be wise to find and follow people that love you that much. The story goes on to say this. Nehemiah writes in verse four, with a prayer to the God of heaven, I replies, if it pleases the king, and if you're pleased with me, your servant, send me to Judah to rebuild the city where my ancestors are buried. 
And basically what he's saying is, like, I have this gut feeling about how I ought to invest this next season of my life, what I need to prioritize above everything else, and I, I really wanna go explore that. And what I think is interesting is when he goes to the king and says, like, I, I, I feel like I need to, to prioritize these things and move my life in this direction, he says uh, the king replies to him with such kindness and respect, but the way he asks is also respectful because Nehemiah understands that him making changes is gonna force other people to change and that's uncomfortable. And here's the, the sort of the underside of change, positive change that a lot of us don't wanna to admit to, right? When you make a positive change to your life, other people who are like, I'm good, we don't need to change, are forced to change sometimes against their will. And sometimes you getting better throws their world, their routine, their expectations into chaos. And so there's a respectful exchange here saying like, I need to do this, but I understand you're a part of my story. It's gonna impact you too. And so I wanna navigate this and negotiate this appropriately. It says in verse six that the king with the queen sitting beside him asked, how long will you be gone? When will you return? And after I told him how long I would be gone, the king agreed to my request. The king agrees to give him space to explore this possibility. And, and, and yet before he does it, he asks some really practical questions. And some of us, we get so annoyed with this when we're like, this is my dream. This is my vision for this next season of my life. And people are like, okay, I got questions. And you're like, you know what? Why do you hate me? <laughs> right? But I think this is a, like, not a fair uh, conclusion that we jump to. If someone does this thing to you, ask you practical questions about how you were gonna get from where you are to where you wanna go, they're not insulting you, they're ensuring you have thought through what your vision is gonna cost you. They're actually helping you, not hating on you. And sometimes people ask us practical questions very innocently because they're trying to help us map out how to get to where we want to go. And we're like, man, all these haters attacking me. And sometimes it's just people who love you trying to help you. But in order to pick a priority and make a plan, you've got to align yourself with a better set of assumptions than a lot of us grab hold of. And these assumptions are something called reality. Some of you have heard of it. Not many of you, I guess, apparently. It sounds like a lot of you are like, tell us more. <laughs> if you are gonna take control of your story, you're gonna have to face reality. And here are three truths that would be really wise for you to embrace moving into the new year. And the first one is this. You cannot be, do, and have it all, all at once. This is reality. I know this flies in the face of what so much of, TikTok has taught us. But not everything on the internet is biblical or true. The reality is you have to make imperfect decisions about how and where to invest your time, energy, and money. And a lot of times, some of us, we, we don't make any decisions about what to prioritize and what to deprioritize because we don't wanna have to make any decisions because we think we can do it all. And what we end up doing is spreading ourselves so thin, not accomplishing anything, not being great at anything, not really tackling any of our issues because 
we, we don't have the capacity to actually pick and choose. Or we're going to pick and choose when we can find the perfect decision that won't cost us anything. But everything costs us something. You can do anything. That is true. But you cannot do everything. And everything is a trade-off. Like everything you decide to do, everything you say yes to, is saying no to something else. This is a reality that you have to face. And so stop trying to make it all work together all at the same time and start deciding to make a trade-off you can live with. Do you want to go along with just like what they want to do even though you're miserable all the time? Or do you actually want to speak up for yourself and indicate what it is you need and just allow them to be annoyed with you. That's a real decision. Like, do you want to spend more time investing in relationships with your family, even though that means you have to say no to overtime and the time you get with your family means less money for your family? That's a difficult decision. One you have to make. Everything is a trade-off. The second thing it would be good for you to latch on to before the new year is this. You can let certain things go. I'll just give you permission this morning. You can let certain things go. Only a few things really matter in your life right now. Not everything that is important to other people needs to be just as important to you. Some of you are just gonna have people in your life listen to this message just for that line that you want them to hear. This is one of my favorite quotes. The, the leadership guru, John Maxwell, says this. You cannot overestimate the unimportance of practically everything. It's <laughs> so brilliant. And he's essentially saying, like, you are in charge of your own life. Everyone's like, well, you got to do this, you got to do that, you got to do that. When people tell me, like, you got to do this, you got to see that, you got to go this place, you got to do that, I'm like, I don't have to do anything. I can do whatever I want. I am a grown-up. Well, it's really important. Probably not. Most things are not as important as the person selling it to you says it is. And this idea, this quote right here, speaks to something called the Pareto Principle that you may have heard of. It's also known as the 80-20 rule. And it states that 80% of your results come from about 20% of your effort, or 80% of your fulfillment comes from about 20% of your investment, which means a lot of us, 80% of what we are doing and maxing our time out and the energy that we're spending, we're not really getting a lot back from. We're just sort of burning ourselves out. The, the smart thing would be to go big on the right stuff and deprioritize everything else. And I'll tell you this, those people that are living a life they want deliberately decide what to let slide, and then they refuse to feel guilty about it. There are times in my life where I'll just say, like, that is important, but it's not as important as this thing in this season. But it's important. I'm like, it is, but not as right now. I don't have room for that as a priority right now. And you can let certain things go. And the third thing that you ought to grab onto if you want to live your best year is that you have choices about the way you live. 
And some of us, we feel like we don't have a choice, that we are stuck and we are trapped and there's nothing we can do. This is just the way it is. I have a friend who used to say this, you are ridiculously in charge of your own story. You cannot be consistently made to do something that you don't want to do. But choosing to believe that you don't have a choice is a choice. And it's a bad one. Stop making it. The truth is you may not always have uh, a control of all of what the options are, right? The options presented to you may be limited. There's probably more than you realize, but there are only a few. But you do get to choose among them and decide how to approach them. And a lot of us don't believe we can. And here's the point of all this. The thing that I want you to take away with you as you tackle this new year, that you can live by design, not by default. And a lot of us are just sort of like doing what we've always done because it's all we know to do. We are living by default. We are just kind of going on the assumptions of the life that we have always lived, even though it's not working. But you can design something different and better. When you have this moment where God opens your eyes like he does to Nehemiah of like, hey, you've been doing this and that's fine, but like you need to know about this. You need to pay attention to this. You need to prioritize this. And for some of you, it's not some temple somewhere else that you need to go build. It is your temple that you need to invest in. It's your mental and emotional and physical and spiritual health that you have ignored. It's your boundaries that have been sort of pushed past and crumbled. It's your gates that have just sort of burnt down. And these are the things that you need to prioritize and repair to move forward, and you can. I remember this season where I was feeling like really just stuck in my life, like, I didn't have any options and I was getting really discouraged. I think this is one of those moments where my realism definitely like sort of descended into pessimism. And I had a friend who I was having coffee with who's more of a mentor in my life who just said like, well, here's the thing. I get everything you're saying, but what would you do? How would you organize your life if you could do whatever you wanted? And I told him and he said, you should do that. And I was like, I can't. And he said, why not? And then he said this, and I just want to echo this to you today. He said, this is your life that you're living. The only one that you are ever going to get. You are not trapped. You can reorganize and refocus. There are other creative options available that you're not thinking of. You are capable of living a life you enjoy and are proud of. And I want to echo this to you today. I don't know how you feel. I don't know what season you just came out of. I don't know what stuff you were facing and just feel like there's no way out. There's no way up. There's nothing more I can do. I can't do what I want to do, what I need to do, what I'm called to do. I got to tell you, this, what you're living right now is your life. It's nobody else's. You don't want to get to the end and say, like so many patients in this care facility, I wish I would have lived a life true to myself instead of trying to be who everybody expected me to be all the time. 
And so here's the big question I want to start you with this year. If you could improve just one area of your life right now, what would it be? Would it be your health, your marriage? Would it be your relationship with your kids, your financial situation? Would it be like sort of what you're doing for a career or the amount of time you give away to other people to serve them? Would it be just your focus and connection with God? And I wonder, whatever that thing is that you're like, man, I wish I could improve that thing over the next year. If you're going to improve it, you're gonna have to do something about it. And so is it getting the attention it deserves? And if it's not, you're gonna have to make some changes. You're gonna have to clear out the clutter that's standing between you and it. You're gonna have to subtract. The first step of, of figuring out what and how to subtract is first discerning what God is saying to you about this season of your life, who he is calling you to be, what he is calling you to face, what he is challenging you to tackle in this season of your life. Once you know that, you can begin to, to, to subtract everything else that's in the way. So this is my challenge to you this week to pinpoint what God is saying to you about the number one thing you need to do this next year. And the second thing I wanna invite you to do is to come back. Because of these next three weeks, I'm gonna give you very practical tools about how to focus on that and how to deprioritize the things that are in the way. I'm telling you, if you keep coming, and you listen and you apply, you will live a year that you enjoy and are proud of. Would you bow your heads across this room today? I wanna just pray over and for you. God, I am grateful for your love for us and I'm grateful for the gift of another year. God, I'm grateful that we have the ability to take charge of our story, that we have the ability to move forward, that we have the ability to make changes. And God, I believe that you are always speaking to us in various ways, through various means. And I believe that if we tune into you, you will make it clear to us what we need to tackle and focus on this year. And you will also make it clear what we need to clear out of the way in order to make that priority possible. God, I pray that you would make it clear to us, that you would empower us, that you would give us the courage to put one foot in front of the other and move forward in the direction you are calling us toward. God, I believe that you're wanting to do massive things in our individual lives, our family, and in our collective community this next year, but it's gonna require each of us to prioritize what you are calling us to. Give us the ability to do that. It's in Jesus' name we pray. And everybody said, amen, amen. Thanks for tuning in to this week's message. We hope you heard something that spoke directly to where you're at right now in life. To find out more about our church, hit up our website, southhills.org corona or follow us on social media at South Hills Corona. 
And if our messages have made a difference in your life, help us get the word out by rating and reviewing this podcast. And as always, you can support the ongoing work of our church by giving through our website at southhills.org slash give and selecting the Corona Campus. Thank you so much for listening, and we hope you'll join us again next week. God bless. Thank you.